Welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor, and the final part of our series, Money Talks. Most of us, because we're American, desire to experience the American dream, do we not? However, I think there's some fine print in that dream that most of us aren't aware of that could really cost us in the long run. So stick around to find out what that is. Today, I wanted to, um, as we wrap up this series, uh, Money Talks, I wanted to talk about the American dream. And that commercial, in kind of a way, uh, especially like kind of all the E-Trade baby commercials, it kind of is a stereotypical uh, version of the American dream, if you will. You know, you go out and you play a round of golf uh, over your lunch break, maybe, and you talk your 401k and you talk your investment portfolio, and then you go back to the office in the afternoon, and that's just kind of the stereotypical uh, American dream. You're making it big, you got time on your hands, you go golf and that kind of thing, okay? And in all honesty, I think it's fair to say that most of us, um, it's kind of our goal as Americans to experience the American dream, right? And you hear people on TV talk about it, you hear uh, your friends talk about it, especially kind of in this political season that we're in and it's ramping up, you know, everybody deserves the American dream and you deserve the American dream and, and it's just kind of this almost entitlement that we have to the American dream. Uh, but in all fairness, I also kind of thought the American dream, what is that? It's kind of this obscure idea that nobody's really defined. We all want it, but we don't exactly know what it is. And so I thought, hey, I should go to the dictionary to figure out what that means. And of course, the dictionary I'm talking about is Urban Dictionary uh, to understand. And if you're not familiar with Urban Dictionary, you'll get it in a second. Uh, what is the American dream? And so I found um, the, the, the uh, definition, because anybody can put a definition in there, the definition that had the most thumbs up votes, um, and uh, I kind of liked it. And here's the definition that they had of the American dream. To sue someone for something silly and live off the money. <clears throat> and if you're not familiar with how Urban Dictionary works, then generally there is an example that they give, and here is the example that followed this one. Johnny was biking in the park and hit a tree. He sued the council for 10 mil. He's living the American dream. <laughs> and some of you are like, amen, because that's the American dream that I see other people living or trying to live. Now, all jokes aside, what I did notice about all of these definitions, uh, like the top five or six even, I didn't go down much farther than that, um, but the top five or six, they all included money. They all included money or a requirement to have a certain amount of money so that you could live a certain lifestyle. But the foundation of all of these ideas of the American dream was money. Here's the, uh, you know, in most dictionaries there's an A version of the definition, then they offer other versions of the definition. Here's the next one, the, the B version. To otherwise made a lot, sorry I copied it, to otherwise make a lot of money for not a lot of effort and spend the rest of your life being rich. And most of us would kind of say, yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind that either, because most of us want to figure out a way to make a lot of money without a lot of effort. And that if you can figure out a way to make a lot of money without a lot of effort, you're kind of just, you're living the dream, isn't it? That's the dream. But the American dream, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I got to be fair, the American dream does have some redeeming qualities of it, okay? There's a lot of people who have been inspired to more who have moved to this country and worked hard to experience and achieve the American dream for their family. 
There's people who have been uh, spurred on to innovation and great new ideas because of the American dream. But I think even in the midst of the greatness that sometimes comes from that dream, that ideal, is some fine print at the bottom. And I think that fine print, as most fine print is, it's not always in our favor. That there is a negative side to this American ideal. For one, is it even possible to experience the American dream without money? Can you experience the American dream without money? I think most of us, if we really thought about it, would have to say, probably not. That money is central to this thing that we as Americans desire to have and to experience. And to that end, sometimes that has some negative repercussions for us. That this idea that to accomplish this dream means money is king. To accomplish this dream that money is king. And, and in all fairness, I think there's been times in all of our lives, whether it be when we were going, growing up or going to school or things like that, that we've all sat there and, and um, you know, as everybody's kind of pursuing their dreams, we kind of wish that the American dream wasn't so hinged on money. That, that we kind of hope that the American dream is more than that. that. That someone can achieve the American dream without money just based on, you know, hard work and great ideas and responsibility and values and those kind of more higher ideas. But the reality is we've also seen the times and the other people in our lives that someone made the grade, got started on the sports team, you know, got out of that problem that they had going on in their lives or got out of the consequences of that problem they had going on in their lives or, or got into college when maybe they shouldn't have simply because money is king. That it wasn't because they worked hard or responsible and had good values. It was because money is king. And when that happens, we all kind of collectively say, hey, that's not probably right. That's not fair. And that's what I hope, at least for the rest of this morning, we will kind of recognize the tension between our aspirations of this higher idea of, of, good, uh, of good work ethics and, and values compared to the reality that money plays in our culture. And that in that tension, if money is king, its kingdom is a little bit broken. Or some of you would maybe even go so far as to say it's a lot a bit broken. That if money is king, in that kingdom, things don't always work out fairly. That we have seen politicians or political favors done simply because money is king. That we've seen problems disappear or, or someone get better care, not because they deserved it or earned it, but because money is king. That they have nicer things than maybe other people do or that they really should have simply because money is king. That they have opportunities that we all don't get simply because money is king. And it's not fair, is it? It doesn't feel right. There, there's this inner part of ourselves that says, hey, this should go maybe a different way. That there are people every day who go out into their daily jobs and risk their lives, yet they don't get paid probably what they're worth. And is that right? 
And then if we take a second to look in the mirror and look at our personal lives and say, hey, if money is king in our personal lives, has that bettered our personal lives? Has it made maybe the little kingdom that money has established in our lives and our relationships better? I think we've all been in places where our relationships sometimes or our marriages have sometimes been dictated more by the financial state of our lives than anything else. That there has been extra stress or even the marriage has begun to crumble simply because the money is running out. Or there have been decisions that you or you've seen other people make in their career path simply based on the amount of income that they could make or may receive or the promise of an income that may or may not come. And they pursue that above all else, even to the detriment of their family. Maybe you have been on the receiving end of, of, of someone making a decision to choose money over you. Maybe you found that money has brought stress into your life that otherwise wouldn't have been there, or caused arguments, or changed your path in a way to the detriment of you and others. And this is why, two weeks ago, when we've been going through the series, Jesus kind of stepped into this conversation. Jesus is, is pretty aware of the realities, even 2,000 years ago, of the place of money in our lives, in our hearts, as king, and says this really profound wise statement. He said in Matthew chapter 6, or he just said and then Matthew wrote it down and then we called it chapter 6, more how this went, but no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, and we've all been there if you've ever had more than one boss or two people that think they're your boss, whether they are or not, and it's kind of like, I can't serve you both. I mean, like you have competing things and it's not very much fun. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you're not a Jesus follower, this works out too. You can put something else in here for God. You, can, you could say you cannot serve both family and money, friends and, and money, my spouse and money. Or if you're Christian, maybe you should just leave God in. You cannot serve both God and money because money's kingdom is broken. If money is king, its kingdom is broken. And so I just want to ask you, for you personally, you don't have to look at your neighbor or you look at your spouse. Does your money have you or do you have your money? Does your money have you or do you have your money? Yes, your name is on the bank account, but who really dictates the decisions in your life? The money or you? Now, I realize for some of you, you're like, Taylor, I'm so ready for this series to be done because these kinds of questions make me uncomfortable, and I don't really like you getting all into our financial situation, and I understand that, okay? Today is the last week. But I feel like I would do you a disservice to not ask you these questions because if questions like this, or at least in this series so far, if you want to go online or download our app and watch the past weeks, if there is something in this series that makes you uncomfortable as it has made me uncomfortable, and I'm the one preaching it in my own life, some of these ideas, some of these questions, I'm just inviting you to kind of pay attention. That if something here makes you uncomfortable, maybe it's worthy of you saying, hey, why? Why does this question does your money have you or do you have your money, kind of like make me wonder. Well, maybe it's because something's there. Maybe it's because you need to pay attention to where, or where money has a place in your heart and in your life. 
Now, for others of you, you would say to me this, does your, does your money have you or do you have your money? Well, Taylor, it doesn't have me because I don't have enough of it for it to have me. Like, if there was a test, if we want to see if, if money is the king of my heart or not, uh, I'd like to sign up to try it out. Like, I would just like you to give me the money and let's just see over the next year or 50 that I can really live a good life even though I had a lot of money. That'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Like, I'd sign up for that. But that's not how it works. And in all reality, I think most of us don't realize it, but we're actually wealthier than we realize. And in that same vein, money may be more of a king in our life than we'd like to admit. See, you might have money if, you might have money if, you've ever walked into your closet on a Monday morning and said, what am I going to wear? I just, I just have so many options. Does this shirt go with these pants? Shoes go with this top or scarf or headband? You might have a money problem. If you have ever sat and felt a little bit of stress about where you're going to eat, like should we have sushi or should we have Mexican? Maybe we'll just have steaks with baked potatoes and stuffed mushrooms and, uh, you know, something like that. If that has ever been a conversation you've had before, you might have some money. If you have ever had the Amazon problem, you guys know what the Amazon problem is? You guys actually know what it is? Like, not that you spend too much on it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like when you get home and you see a package at your front door and, and, and you're like, huh, where'd this come from? Oh, it's from me to me. But I have no idea what's in it. Thank you, me. And then you get it out and you're like, oh, you were so thoughtful, you. And it was only two days ago because it's prime shipping, y'all. Like, what's up? That is a case where you might have some money. And so as I was thinking about this, I was doing some Google research, and I found this website, and you can go to this, you take a picture on your phone, go to it later, givingwhatwecan.org. It's not a Christian website, I'm pretty sure it's not, okay, but it was kind of funny, like, how much this lines up with what we're talking about today. And on their website, they have the How Rich Am I calculator, okay? How rich am I, okay? And you go in there, and you type in your information for your household, like your income, and the number of kids you have, and, and how many people in your house, all that kind of stuff, okay? Okay? And I would just suggest to you that you might have money if you are in the 50th or higher percentile of income earners in the world. Is that fair to say? Like, if you were 50% or above, you'd probably be wealthy. Okay? Good news for you, to be in the 50th percentile or higher means you have to earn $5,000 total a year or more. Good news, right? Aren't you feeling so good about yourself right now? Or, and this is where it gets really uncomfortable, sorry, but I just took the Tiffin, in, average income in Tiffin, okay, which is $67,500 or so, okay? If you earn that much as a total household, you are in the top 2.5% wealthiest people in the world. Aren't you, I feel like we should be clapping, like, woo, you know, we're rich. Why don't you guys, not excited about this? And then, what's awesome about this website, or convicting about this website, is then it goes in and it says, that as you scroll down, it says, if you give 10% of that average income, you're still going to be in the top 3.1% in the world of income earners, plus others will live 34 years longer because of your generosity. That if you took that money and you went out and bought like mosquito nets 
so that when people sleep, they're covered and they're protected against uh, 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 um, mosquito-borne in illnesses like malaria and all that kind of stuff. You will add 34 years of life to people you n- will never meet. Or maybe because you give and you provide drugs or relief or, or medicine for people who need it the most, um, they will live 34 years longer. It's kind of convicting. Yet, when you leave here today, I doubt you're going to get in your car, which, is, which has heat and air conditioning and a radio and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about, that car? Okay. You will not feel wealthy, will you? Why? Let's say you make the Johnson County average income. as a household total, okay? You are in the top 5.3% wealthiest people in the world. I realize this may be uncomfortable for you and a little confusing for you right now, but this is just reality. This is just a fact. And so if it's making you uncomfortable, I just invite you to ask yourself, like, why does that make me uncomfortable? Why does that make me feel a little convicted? Why don't I feel rich even though undeniably I am? And I realize some of you who are, do finance and you kind of smart in these kind of things, you're like, yeah, but Taylor, the cost of living is so much higher, and so I make more, but it costs more to live and all that kind of stuff, and I got to pay bills, all that kind of stuff. Hey, I understand that, but let's be honest. What bills are you paying? Your running water bill? Your cell phone bill? Your car bill? Your house bill? I promise you, if you go to parts of the world that earn $5,000 or less, their houses, their cars, if they even have one, their cell phones, if they have one, will not be as nice as yours. That ultimately, the bills you pay, yes, are more. However, what you're getting is also so much more. That really, there is no way around this. You are among the most wealthiest people in the entire world, out of billions and billions of people. So why don't you feel rich? Why don't I feel rich? Here's why I think that is. Because our hearts live in a kingdom where money rules. Our hearts live in a kingdom, a culture, a society, an American dream where money rules. And I'm not saying, please don't hear me say, well, go, you got to go live in poverty, okay, to be a good person. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, please don't get compensated fairly for the work that you do. I'm not saying, don't go out and invest wisely to earn interest and make more money and be responsible with what you do have. I'm not saying that. If, if you're thinking I'm saying that, then you need to go back to the week one of the series. I'm saying our hearts live in a kingdom where money rules, so our hearts tend to hunger for more instead of being thankful for our hearts tend to hunger for more instead of being thankful for whatever in our lives that we have to be thankful for. And like most hungers, most hungers, the more we feed a hunger, the more it grows. The more we feed an appetite, the more it grows. And we are all raised in an environment where we have a deep abiding hunger for more instead of being grateful for. And we so easily fall into these comparison traps where we see our neighbor and what they have and what we have, and we're like, I want one of those, and they have one of those, and I think I deserve one of those. And, and in the end, who wins? Who wins when our hunger for more grows? Who wins when we fall victim to the comparison trap? Who wins when our, our relationships are torn apart because we can't agree on finances and money and that kind of stuff? Money. Money wins not us. And so Jesus, 
Again, recognizing all of this. In Matthew chapter 6, and we looked at this passage before, but we kind of just skimmed over it. Now we're just going to camp out on it for the rest of the time together. Jesus says, I want to give you a solution. And here's the solution. But seek first his, God's, kingdom and his righteousness. Here's the alternative. Because the truth is, the kingdom of money will probably always be around at least for thousands and thousands and thousands of years longer. The kingdom of money will always be here. It's not a matter of eliminating it so much as it is putting it in its proper priority. And to put it in its proper priority means you have to put something first over top of it as more important. And Jesus wants to suggest to you, which I realize for some of you may be kind of a new idea or a new thing, Jesus wants to suggest to you that you should put God's kingdom first. And if you're not familiar with what God's kingdom is, I totally understand that. It's not actually a place, per se, that you go. It's more of a culture. It's more of a morality. It's more of a rules by which we should live. That if God had a kingdom and he was king of it, our society, our culture would live differently. Because God's kingdom tends to be more based, more than anything else, on an others-first mentality. That we would love others as much as we love ourselves. That we would love God as an other more than even we would love ourselves. That the greatest values in God's kingdoms are think, kingdom is things like patience and love and kindness and forbearance and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And those are the values of the kingdom of God. And you say, well, we have those values here. Yes, yes, yes. But they are all subject to sometimes, too much so, to a king who isn't God. They're contingent upon a paycheck. They're contingent upon what you do for me, so then I'll do for you. They're contingent too often on money as king. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I'm not saying you have to like buy into this. I'm just asking you to consider this, especially because honestly, I'm not sure what other alternatives you have. What else? Who else should be king of your life? Because certainly, if you're honest with yourself, you'd probably not say that you've done an exceptionally perfect job of being king of your own life. There's certainly been decisions and choices you've made that you regret and you feel guilty and ashamed about. And so what, what, who, or what should be the king of your life? He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then time after time, time after time, if you open the, the gospel accounts or the, essentially the accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you open those when you go home in your B-I-B-L-E or if you don't have one, you can download the app or, or we have them in the back. You see this happen over and over and over again because Jesus shows us God's kingdom. In fact, part of the reason Jesus came and didn't just die and get it all done with right away is to show us, to usher in a little bit of God's kingdom into the now. Even, if, think about it, even, even his closest followers, the 12 disciples, you may have heard of them, okay, his closest followers were illiterate fishermen, zealots, which by some terms, and depending on your perspective, could be considered terrorists, and thieves, like the tax collector, Matthew. He just stole more than he actually got taxes. They were not the greatest of people, 
Yet Jesus chose to put them first above all else and invited them to follow him, the Son of God. I mean, even if you don't believe in this, like just hypothetical it for a second, he invited those kinds of people to follow him. And then one day they're walking along, okay, they're on a little bit of a trip, okay, and Jesus overhears his disciples behind him kind of talking about what, what they're thinking, okay, and they're kind of talking about how they want to be um, and who's going to be number uh, two and number three and number four and number five when Jesus brings in his kingdom. When Jesus puts himself on the throne in Jerusalem and everybody's like, Hosanna, Hosanna, God, uh, Jesus is here and he's king and all this kind of stuff, who's going to be on top? Who's going to be on top? And Jesus turns around and says, you want to be great? You want to talk about greatness? The Son of Man, God's Son, came, and the famous words came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life for ransom for many. That's what greatness is in the kingdom of God. That's what love is in the kingdom of God. And then they got to this Passover meal. It's a pretty famous meal just before Jesus is tried and crucified. And, and they're sitting around the table and all this. And then Jesus gets up and he takes off his outer robe, okay? And people are like, and the, the disciples are in there like, what's going on? Why is Jesus like taking his outer robe off? And, and then Jesus wraps a towel around his waist and his disciples are like, whoa, I know what's happening next. And then he starts to wash their feet. They're dirty, smelly, sandal, been in the dust. They don't have showers, y'all. Kind of feet. He washes them. He washes their feet. Even Judas, the guy who's going to betray him, washes the feet. And he says to all of them, he says, this is how you should love one another. I am the Son of God, and I am now sitting on my hands and knees, washing your feet because I love you, and this is how you need to love one another. This is the kingdom of God. And then a few hours later, he gave his life for the forgiveness of sin. Not his own sin. He was perfect. He gave his, he gave his life for the forgiveness of everyone, you and myself included, because he loved us, because God loved us. I want you to understand the king gave his life for his subjects. And the world has never been the same. That is a king worth putting first. Because I promise you, no matter how much money you acquire, how much wealth you pursue, how much of the American dream you're able to grasp, whatever that looks like, the American dream will never do that for you. People may but the American dream will not, nor will money. But God will because God wants to. This is a king, this is a king you should give your heart to. This is a king you should give your heart to. But Christians, if you're Christian, you pay attention just for a second, tune back in if you fall asleep. Christians, just ask yourself, think about, consider, why is it that you will trust God with so much in your life but we'll stop short when it comes to money. You will trust God with your kids. You've prayed prayers where like, Lord, they just turned 14. I need help. Like whatever is just happening to my child right now, it is, 
it is like a disaster waiting to happen or it is happening. And Lord, if you're there, maybe you don't even believe that God's there and you're just like, anybody listening, could use some help here? Like whatever is happening here, I need some help with my kids. You trust God with your kids. You trust God with your job. You pray sometimes, hey, Lord, help me with this. Guide me. What choice should I make here? I got some decisions on my plate. What, What should I go with? You trust God with your relationships to fix him, to fix her. Maybe sometimes you'll even pray for yourself to fix yourself, but of course it's always their fault, not yours. Okay, that's how we do relationships generally. You pray for God's help in your relationships. You pray for hurt and pain and loss. You pray, you pray for his comfort in these painful parts of your life and in that diagnosis you just got and you're trying to reconcile through that and you just pray, Lord, if you're there, please, please help. You'll trust God with that. You'll even, this is what I love, you'll even go so far as I have even gone so far to confess my sin before my Father in heaven and trust him with my sin, but not my money. Why is that? Why is it that you've never prayed a prayer that said, Lord, I just want you to be first when it comes to my money. Lord, I want you to be king in my life and by extension, my money. Why have you never prayed that? Because money is king. And it has caused you grief and will continue to cause you grief because you were created to seek first your creator. You want to know the purpose for existence? Created to seek first and be in relationship with your creator. And I'll be honest with you, I think the Spirit of God has pressed this on your hearts once in a while, maybe all of a while, especially in those times where money and life isn't going your way, hasn't served you well, and you seek out your creator and you recognize that maybe there's something more to it. This is a matter of priority. Because when we get our priorities out of whack, when we get our kings mixed up, disorder follows. When we get the order of our lives mixed up, disorder follows. And you have been on the receiving end of that. And sometimes you probably even sat there and say, why is this going so badly? What's happening here? I just don't understand. It seems extraordinary. It seems out of, out of place. I just I don't understand why. I'll tell you why. It's because the order in your life is wrong. And disorder will follow that every time. When money is king, this is how we live our life financially. We live, save, give. In this order, we live life, we enjoy life, maybe save a little bit if we have enough, and then once in a while we give, especially if Pastor Taylor's like really convicting about it, and then we'll be like, okay, I'll just, okay, put that in the bucket or get my phone out and I'll give and it's really difficult and don't look. I know I could do more, but I'm not going to do that much because it makes me uncomfortable. Okay, this is how money lives life. And one of my uh, pastor that I listen to is really great. This is how he says it. I think it's, it's pretty funny. He says, this is, this way of living is a me first living with them leftover given. Me first living with them leftover given. If I have a little leftover, then I'll do it. This is a world and a life ruled by money, not a Father in heaven. And listen, if this is all there is to life, like there's no life ever after, okay? There's, there's no life after death, okay? And there's no God and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get it. You live your life this way. That's totally fine. I understand that, okay? But then what you need to do is tonight 
Go home and get your loved ones around the table. Get your kids around the table tonight. Do it tonight, okay? Sit them down and say, I just want to help you prioritize the rest of your life. Yeah, they're 10, 12, 13. You can hit this again and again and again. Over dinner, I just want you to teach them this. Honey, son, daughter, you need to live first, save second, and then if you got some left over, then you need to give. That's what you need to teach your kids tonight. If you're like, Taylor, I want to teach my kids like that, okay? Maybe that's because you inherently know because of the image of God, the Spirit of God in your life is saying, this is not the best way to live. This is not the best way to live. If you're not willing to teach your kids this, then this is a red flag for you to say, whoa, maybe money is more in a place of king in my life than anything else. Because in his kingdom, in God's kingdom, you give first, you say, money, you are not the boss of me. Money, you get over there and go help them. You get over there and go help them. They need it more than I do. Money, you get over there. You are not the boss of me. You need to go help those folks. You need to go pay off school lunch debt. You need to go give to people on the east side of Iowa City who need it more than I do. You need to give it to those people who are suffering because of natural disasters. Get over there and help someone else. And then I'm going to save a little bit because I'm going to be responsible. And then I'm going to live on the rest. This, for some of you, is a step you need to take towards your creator king. And for some of you, this is the last part that you have reluctantly waited to give up to your heavenly Father. And that's why with your relationship with your Father in heaven has always been a little bit on the rocks because this, this has not sunk in yet. And if any time there is a time to be thankful and grateful and generous, this is a good week to do it. Because here's what God wants for you. Here's what Jesus wants for you. Here's what I want for you. Is that what uh, Paul says to his, um, his uh, uh, mentee, Timothy, he says, command them to do good, to be rich, not in money, but in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so I want to challenge you. When you walk out of here today, I want to challenge you for the next two months to give first and take that step. Give first and take that step. Maybe it's 10%. Okay, let's be honest, most of us, could probably swing that. And maybe be comforted by the fact you're still in the 3.1% of wealthiest people in the world, even if you do. Maybe 10% is too much, maybe it's 5%, but you would take a percentage of your paycheck, every paycheck that you get in, or income, or side income that you get in, you just take that, and you'd give it away first. You give it away first. We did a series on habits. If you read that book, Power of Habits, this is what's called a keystone habit, because when you do it, it makes a difference in everything else. Who is the king of your heart? This is what we do every single year as a church. We are rich. We are being rich, but in good deeds and generosity. Out in the hallway, there's a giving tree. Maybe you grew up in church, you've done this before. You grab a thing off the uh, tag off the tree, you go out, you buy the gift, you bring it back, and you help some kids who don't have a lot in our local community. Or maybe you have the means by which you can give financially. Here is a way in which you can do it, is you can give to Be Rich. We try to raise $3,000 this year and give it all away to local organizations that make a difference, okay? So far, we're at $1,150 
So a little bit shy of our $3,000 mark. Um, I'm not too worried because last year we raised $2,500, so I upped it $500 this year, and we've grown by 25% since this time last year. So I'm guessing we'll be fine with this. It's just some of you are waiting to the last minute to make this happen, and, and let's be honest, we could just make this happen today. It really wouldn't take much. And I realize some of you gave through the Community Foundation, and I'm still waiting to hear back from them on how much uh, was maybe matched or given out of that. But maybe in a week of thanksgiving, of gratitude, we would be grateful for the wealth that we have. And maybe a creator king who has created us and given us so much. So here's what I want to leave you with. And then we're going to do communion here in just a second. Um, I want to leave you with this question. What kingdom does your money say you seek first? If your money could talk, what kingdom does your money say you seek first? And my invitation to you is to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. His kingdom and His righteousness. And if you're not sure yet what that means and that's a new idea for you, pursue that. Ask questions about it. Dig deeper and you will find what you're looking for. Even if you watch online, I've said this every week so far, we would love for you to be a part of this Be Rich generosity campaign. And so you can go online to our website and give to the Be Rich Fund to support these awesome organizations locally and around the world. I just want to leave you with the question of what kingdom do you seek? And what kingdom would your money say that you seek first and foremost above all else? And if it's not God's kingdom, I'd invite you to consider why it isn't and how maybe switching your heart to God's kingdom first could really make a difference in your life and the lives of those people around you. I hope you'll join us next week for a brand new series, Home for Christmas. Have a great one.